If you would, once again this morning, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. When we started this series, we talked about the fact that Christianity has moved to the margins, and we can expect, to some degree, some area of persecution, and not so much in the way that we would think of as being killed and slaughtered as some people around the world are, but definitely some persecution in the, in the idea of there are a lot of people who do not like, appreciate, or consider Christianity a viable religion. Um, it's not a religion to be tolerated by very many. And so we can expect to some degree of a bit of persecution as we know it. The world around us is not going to understand the purposes of God and His people. We've seen that over and over again. In fact, Peter reminded his readers over and over again that this world, there will be suffering, there will be rejection, there will be persecution. So we want to talk about that just for a moment, being reminded of that. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would, turn there. 1 Peter chapter 4, and beginning with verse 12, says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Remember, we talked about this several weeks ago, that the world doesn't understand the purposes of God. So we shouldn't be surprised that the world doesn't understand that and doesn't appreciate what we live for. So don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes among you to test you as if that were something unusual. It's not unusual. It is quite to be expected. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. I don't know about you, but I don't like suffering in any form, and I don't really like grief. I kind of like things to go smoothly, right? Um, in fact, I, I don't like to be bothered. I think that's most of us, right? I like to be able to go to bed, get a good night's rest, which hasn't happened lately. And by the way, I had the weirdest thing happen this last week. I got the chills so bad, I have never had them before. Three in the morning, I'm getting up, turning the shower one step below scalding, and I'm still shivering. And that's like, something's wrong with this. And uh, anyway, I strained that a little bit in Sunday school, to which Dave says, a welcome to older age. Really? Does that what I have to look forward to? Come on. Thanks, Dave. I like things to go smooth. I don't like to be bothered by things. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to walking with Jesus Christ, the world is going to bother us in some areas because they don't like what we stand for. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, once again, back over there, just a couple pages over, and verse 16, it says... But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. In other words, we bear the name of Christ as a Christian, and we're to rejoice in that if suffering comes as a result of that. And remember, one thing we kind of really get off out of focus from time to time is this, is that this world is temporary. We are only here for a little while and then we are gone. But if we lose sight of that, we'll be living for the things of this world, and all these little things that people can say and, and do to get it on our skin, it's going to bother us. But if we're living for the one 
We can get through this. Back to the chapter in chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. If you would follow along as I read verses 13 through 17. says, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So God's word reminds us, even if you do go through the suffering, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, you should rejoice in that. Because you are blessed to be able to go through the same thing that Christ went through. So it's not really about going through life without any troubles, without any heartache, without any struggles. Those are going to be there. It's a matter of how we respond to them. And if we do so with the right character, with the right attitude, with the right uh, demeanor, it will be a testimony to the world around us that once again that we are followers of Christ and that, we do, and that, that does make a difference in our lives. But we have to also know this, that suffering and struggle and, and rejection is not the end of it all. In our trials and persecution, we have the privilege of associating with Jesus. He makes it clear in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicated, or, or within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Wait a minute, did I, did I read that right? The sufferings of Christ and the what that would follow? Glory. He tells us and reminds us that glory was going to follow the suffering and the persecution. You see, no matter what we go through, it's temporary. And in the end, God is going to be glorified through it. So it's really not a matter of how I feel through it or what I think about it. It's what God is going to do through the other end of it. Back over chapter 3 and verse 18. I know you're jumping around. I love hearing the pages turn a little bit. That's great. And as you're jumping around, you see how Peter here, as we said very, way back in the beginning of, the, of this study, is that Peter is talking to who? He's talking to people who were uprooted from their land. They're here temporarily. And once again, the reminder is that we're here temporarily. And everything that they're going through is just a temporary time period. But chapter 3 and verse 18 it says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah, and so forth. God went through the persecution. God went through the suffering. And we can just in some small way relate to what Christ went through. Just a small way. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with the sin. 
in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for the human desires, but for God's will. So he says, the suffering is temporary. It would be there, but it's going to pass. And then we see it again in verse 13. Same chapter, verse, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. It says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Wait, do I have to rejoice in the suffering? Really? Once again, I don't like to rejoice in suffering. In fact, I really don't like pain. I don't like to be hurt. I don't like to be discomforted. He says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And then he goes on to say in chapter 5 and verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as, fa as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. So when God gets us through the suffering aspect of living out our faith, if we, shouldn't have to, if we should indeed have to endure that, He's going to bring glory at the other end of it. question is this. Are we willing to stand up for our faith? Are we willing to let others around us know that we are followers of Christ? No matter what consequences that may bring. Because we know that God has already commanded us, in the sufferings, they're temporary. In the sufferings, we're to have joy and be blessed through them. And then number three, God is going to bring glory the other end of them it'd be worth it all amidst it all Peter encourages his readers to not be fearful of that in fact he says in 1st Peter chapter 3 and verse 6 go back just a page chapter 3 verse 6 just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation I don't know about you, but sometimes we're easily intimidated. It seems like that wall, that 1% that can get us irritated. I mean, we're out sharing our faith, and you can share your faith 20 times, and that one person that irritates us, and what do we remember? The one. Most of the time, people are pretty gracious to listen. But it's the one that doesn't that kind of gets us. It's the one that doesn't want to hear it that kind of is one that sticks in our mind. He says, don't be intimidated. Don't let the intimidation stop you. In verse 14, he says, once again, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. So don't be intimidated by it. See, God has called us to live out our faith. And that means we have to be vocal. That means we are to exemplify what it means to follow Christ. We don't act like the world acts. We don't speak like the world speaks. We don't think like the world thinks. We are different. We are peculiar people, First Peter tells us. Called out people, chosen people. And that makes us different. In fact, in reality, we face persecution and suffering as all those around the world who believe do. We're not alone in this. Anybody who follows Christ will at some point face it. And chat... In fact, uh, chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. 
Sometimes in the midst of our struggles, we kind of think we're all alone. Don't we? I mean, we have it worse than someone else. So-and-so doesn't have to go through what I'm going through. But God's word is clear. Anyone who believes, all those around the world, they're all going through suffering. You're not alone. We're never alone. But here's where I want to concentrate just for a few moments this morning. There is hope. The bottom line is we start off this series talking about how Christianity had moved to the margins. But this is life now. Where once Jesus Christ was in the mainstream of culture and society, that's not the case, right? We, know, we understand that. We've learned that. We, we understand that. We get that. So that means we have a new norm, right? A new norm. So the new norm is this. The world doesn't care for Christianity. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that as followers of Christ? Well, there's hope there. The author of the book that we've been looking at suggests three areas in which we must do well, and we must do well in our communities if we will move from the margins and live with hope. And the first one is material generosity. Material generosity. Let me think about that just for a moment. What is he talking about? Being generous with material goods. Um, and I thought it was interesting here. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, a very familiar verse, says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is a prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Let me just say this. Satan will look for whatever he can use in your life to get you distracted from following God. And I think one of the main areas that he gets us down with and gets us distracted with is with our treasure. What's the last thing that we're willing to give God most of the time? Our treasure. You know what I've found over the years is that there's more money to do projects than what we ever imagined. I'm amazed at how much money is out there. It's just amazing that when I watched this with my brother's ministry a couple years back, when they had a, in a very short period of time, they had to come up with something like $80,000. And you think, whoa, $80,000, that's, that's insane for a small group of people. And then all of a sudden, they began to pray and ask God, and all of a sudden, little by little, all of a sudden a chunk here and a chunk there. Next thing you know, 80,000 came in. Just like that. And what was amazing is that this chunk came from a small group of people who didn't have it. There's always more. Because God is faithful. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the idolatry of our finances and the idolatry of materialism. And we can begin to live for those things rather than the things of God. And we need to be on guard against that. And the world needs to see that we're not tied to this world. Amen? We're not, it's not about getting a nicer home, a nicer car, a bigger, fatter 401k. It's not about getting a, a, a really nice retirement because most of the time, what you plan doesn't happen anyway, right? All you older ones are shaking your heads. Your younger ones haven't got there yet. 
But you understand, it's not about the wealth that this world has to offer. Because ultimately, even if you do get the wealth, if you don't have Jesus Christ, you're still no happier. Besides that, real joy doesn't come from money. It comes from knowing the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's hope. Hope is not being prepared for the day. Financially. Or in our fleshly living here on this earth. It's not about the here and the now. If we make life all about the here and the now, we miss out on what God's really trying to do in and through us. It's been amazing over the years to see how God has provided through His people to do great things. But those who get to experience the blessing are those who don't hold on tight-fisted. How much is enough? Seriously, how much is enough? I mean, if we could set aside three or $400,000 for that day, is that enough? Well, it might be if we don't have any problems. Well, then maybe we've got to pad it up to half, half a million. If we can get to that half million mark, then it's okay. After 40 years, then, that's, then we're over the hump just a little bit. But what happens if our house burns down? And what happens if we need... Well, we better pay just a little bit more then. How much is enough? When will we get it into our minds that God will provide? I'm not talking about being stupid with our finances. I'm not talking about being ridiculous. But I am saying, will you trust God with it because it's not about this world. In Matthew, in fact, we're going to jump out of 1 Peter just for a moment. Turn over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. I think there's a couple of good principles here that we need to gather for ourselves here. If the world is going to see that we're different, they need to see that we're different with our material goods. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Where's our focus? Is it on the bank account or is it on serving Jesus Christ and using what he has, what he's given to me as a steward. Someone said to me, was it yesterday or the day before? But they come to the realization that it's not about giving God 10%. It's about God letting us have the percentage that we have. Because all of it's his. But do we live life that way, that it's his? And here's the principle, verse 20, or 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what's the problem with having finances? Nothing. As long as the finances don't have you. That's the difference. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, he says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Here's the thing. 
Proverbs 27 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't have the guarantee that what we are saving for is even going to be there. But if that's what we live for, we'll miss out on being a blessing to others that God places in our sphere of influence. So God says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of their wealth, but on God. Because He's going to provide it anyway. Look at verse 18. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works. What's he referring to here? Let's think this through just for a moment. Instruct who? Those that have means, those that are wealthy, those that have goods, those that are rich. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works. In other words, God may ask you at some point to let loose of it a little bit for the work of the kingdom. Are you willing? And then he says, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Make sure that if you have wealth, make sure the wealth doesn't have you. There's a big difference there. And then back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, says this. <clears throat> Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. Everything you have is because God has allowed you to have it. You're just the steward of it. Are you doing a good job managing it? And then, not only just material generosity, as we are living in the margins in Christianity, but relational generosity. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 4, once again, and verse 8. It says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. <coughs> Let me just stop there just for a moment. Let me, let me just kind of give you a, a, a practical application of this. Don't be easily offended by the world around you. Some of us can get irritated that fast. I'm telling you, it's easy. But once again, remember, we have expectations for an unsaved world around us that are not Realistic. Does that make sense? We often come to this idea that we expect the world around us to act like us. That's not realistic. It's not really fair either. We should be different. God's Word tells us in 2 Corinthians that if you have Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. You should be different. I expect that of you. I don't expect it of an unsaved world. Don't get easily offended. That's the world we live in. And if you live that way, you're going to live in some gloom and doom most of the time. You're going to live as an Eeyore. Everything's pessimistic and doom and gloom and everybody's always doing this and that. <coughs> 
God's word also tells us, great peace of they which love thy law, and what? Nothing shall offend them. We ought to live with love. It says, above all, maintain constant love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he goes on to verse 11. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The bottom line is this. We're going to treat others with love. Let God work through you, speak through you, talk through you, respond through you. And can I say along with this? We have to be people who offer forgiveness quickly and freely. Quickly and freely. I have a friend in Indiana who was deeply offended by a leadership in a church. And over time, the struggle between the leadership and the individual became very distant. It worked its way in, and bitterness started to set in, and all of a sudden the distance became to the point where the pastor ended up leaving, and the other guy just kind of was frustrated with church altogether for a while. And my friend comes in, and he talked to him. He says, you know, you're going to wait for something you're never going to get. You're waiting for an apology you're never going to receive. You're waiting for something to happen that's never going to happen. You're waiting for change to take place that's never going to take place. He goes, I just want you to know, I forgive you, and I'm sorry. He goes, well, the offense is not with you, and you have no business. He goes, as a child of God, he said, and as a leader in the church now, previous leadership hurt you. I want you to know, I'm sorry. And I ask for your forgiveness. He sat back just for a moment. He goes, I've never heard that before. In fact, I don't think I ever even understood that before. The other guy was long gone. Wasn't going to happen. But sometimes we allow a bitterness and a frustration and a struggle and a disappointment to come in. And we want the world around us to make it right, and it's not going to happen. And sometimes you just have to let God's love come through and let his love heal. And God worked through that in, in, in an incredible way to where that guy, once again, became a faithful member of the church. And not only that, ended up becoming an elder in the church and is thriving today. Because someone was willing to throw out the grace card. Folks, we need to learn to throw the grace card a little bit more often rather than holding grudges against people and especially the world around us. Building our lives. How do we build? You know what happens in our culture? We meet somebody and we say, hey, what do you do? And what we usually do is extend a job title. Where's our true identity? 
Is our, is our identity in what we do or in who we are? If it's in what we do, it's temporary. You see, most of us can understand that at this stage. For a lot of years, we did fill in the blank. For a lot of years, I practiced fill in the blank. If our, if our identity is in what we do rather than in who we are, we miss the point of what God is trying to do in us. If, the first, and form, if first and foremost you are a fill in the blank, then everything has a tendency to come behind that. If everything I do is wrapped up in being a carpenter, then my whole life is in what I have built. And it usually comes behind what Jesus Christ is trying to do in and through me. See, our identity cannot be in what we do. Our identity has to be in who we are. And let's remember this. Our identity as Christians, we are citizens of another world. This is temporary. First Peter 1 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad. They were foreigners in a different land. We are foreigners in a different land. And our identity is not in what we do, it's in who we are before Jesus Christ. And the world needs to see that. We're not living for the things of this world. First John reminds us, for all that is in this world, the love of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the prior life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And he reminds us that the world is going to what? Pass away. Everything that we could live for that is part of this world is going to be temporary. And then I think there has to be a change in the third area. Not just with our material wealth, not just with our gracious living, but it has to also include our leadership. In 1 Peter chapter 5, first four verses, it says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willing Willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for, for money, but eagerly, but lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I think there's at least three things here. How our leadership is vital. Willingness rather than obligation. We lead out of willingness, not out of obligations. Nobody's commanded this to do this. Leaders in churches, we need to live it out because we want to be here. I mean, there's a thousand other professions somebody could choose to do. And I think there's a huge difference between a calling and a career choice. Huge difference. I've met a lot of people, and maybe you're sitting here in the congregation. You went to school for one degree, but you're in a totally different field than what you went to school for. Career changes happen all the time. 
See, when God calls a man, it's a calling, not a career choice. So we lead out of willingness because we want to be here, not out of obligation. I don't have to do it. I want to do it. And leaders and people who are leaders in the world around us, you need to lead out of willingness, not because someone's forcing you to do it. I think there's another one in verse 2. Lead out of enthusiasm rather than out of greed. So he says here, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Out of enthusiasm, not out of greed. I used to say when I was younger, I said, man, I get to do what I love to do and get paid for it. How awesome is that? How many people get to say that in the world that we live in? Seriously. I've told Jake, I've told my kids, I would rather work for less and enjoy what I do than to get paid a whole bunch of money and hate going to work every day. I do believe that. But in the work of the ministry, there's no greater joy. And then number three, out of example rather than, rather than dictatorship. Verses three and four. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We lead out of example rather than a dictatorship. It's not a rule book that we're following. Hey, let's follow Christ together. The world needs to see that. And quite honestly, I'm sick to death and tired of preachers and, and elders in churches doing stupid stuff and getting caught up in the news. It drives me nuts. In every denomination, in every walk of faith, they're out there. It is marring the testimony of Christ. Folks, we have got to live it out. Be real. Be transparent. We're not perfect. But we ought to be transparent. We were lead by example. We're walking this life together. Amen? And then lastly, <coughs> I think the, the key to all this First Peter 5 verse 10 says this, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. There's going to be suffering in this life. Living in the margins means that there's going to be attacks. Living in the sidelines of the culture where Christianity is not front and center means that there are going to be people who disagree. But the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you when? After you have suffered a little while. The suffering is temporary. And God will restore when it's done. He'll work in and through it. In fact, he says, verse 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. He's not going to let us alone. He's with us every step of the way. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then trust him. If you trust him, then let him use you. He's not going to make any mistakes. Be vocal. 
Let the world see who you are. Be real. And let's see if God won't cause an impact to take place in the world that we live in. Amen? It can happen if we trust God and let Him work in and through us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Your many blessings. I ask, God, that You would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to realize that Lord, the suffering is going to be there. Not in the form that many of these apostles or disciples went through. There are going to be people who are frustrated, distracted, who will call us out, who will, in various forms, Lord, <coughs> not appreciate what we stand for. But I pray, God, that we would stand firm anyway. I ask, God, that you would give us strength and boldness. As you've already said, help us to claim that. Acts 1.8 says you've already given us power. 2 Timothy says you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power of sound mind. You've given us the tools to make an impact in this world that we live. Might we be obedient, God? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I ask that uh, no one be looking around for just a little while this morning.